Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, uh, I just want to acknowledge how uh, the way that our services have, have worked out um, a lot of times I'm, I'm doing worship and, and then I was gone a few weeks and the only weeks that I, that Allie and, and John and, and this, this group were, were up here, I was gone. So it was just so good uh, for my heart to just uh, worship and have them lead us. So um, thanks to you all. Uh, but I'm excited to be here with you today. My name is Garrett Richards. I don't want to assume everybody knows who I am. My name is Garrett. I'm a, an elder here at Redemption's Hill. Uh, so if you're joining us for the first time, uh, whether you're at home or, or here, welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, I'm not the normal guy. Uh, I'm, I'm more the guy that, like, the team keeps on the bench and put in when they need, like, to give some fouls or something, right? Like, hey, we, uh, that's, um, that's me. But I'm excited to be here with you today to preach. And I realize as I was preparing that I say that often. I say I'm excited to be bringing the word to you today. Uh, and as I thought about that, I, I say that not necessarily because I'm excited to um, be preaching. Um, this is not necessarily my comfort zone, but uh, I am excited to be here because the word is good, right? The word is good, and, and I need to hear it, and so do you. Um, and it's a privilege, honestly, to be the one that, that gets to be up here sharing with you uh, the word and kind of what God has laid on my heart with you. So... What we're going to do today is uh, we're going to open his word, and uh, we're going to try to hear from him, and I'm going to try not to, to screw it up too much. So um, it's been a while since I've got a chance to, to do this. The last I was telling TJ this morning, the last time that I took a turn preaching was, I had to look back through my calendar, December 22nd of 2019. So I feel like some stuff has happened since then. Yeah? Like, well, we Christmas, for one. Right, we had that in, in New Year's. Uh, oh, we got a whoop! Somebody's ready for some Christmas already. Uh, we had Christmas. We had New Year's. You know, global pandemic, civil unrest in our country. It's been a tough year. I mean, as I was I was thinking through all those things, like we lost a Black Panther for crying out loud. Like it's been a hard right. That was one of those things. Like what is going on? It's been a lot. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I could really go for some presidented times right about now. So, but even in the midst of all of that, right, in a tough year and a lot going on, I can tell you truthfully that I stand here this morning and I have hope, right? I have hope that God is still on the throne. He's still in control. I have hope that Jesus, the work that Jesus did on the cross on my behalf, right, is still being imparted to me because of his righteousness and obedience. I am completely justified forever, saved by a faith that he gave to me. And if you're a believer, you have that same hope this morning, right? We, there is still good news in the world today. And I hope you feel that way. I hope you feel um, the same way. I hope you have felt that way, felt hope through our series on the Beatitudes. I hope that you have felt freedom at times. I hope that you have felt peace, 
even though we've gone through some really kind of tough texts as we've covered those the last few weeks. And, and as, as God is sanctifying us, and TJ's been pointing out like that kind of is tough in the moment. But my hope is that you have hope even through that. So I'm going to start this morning, and I debated whether I should include this or not, but I'm going to start by saying something that's probably going to be kind of controversial for some of you, but I I kept coming back to it, so I think that it just needs to be said. I think that Rocky IV is the best Rocky in the series. Look, I already heard somebody say not even close, right? I knew it, okay? Don't at me, all right? It just... You will not convince me that it's not the best, okay? And and I'm not going to recap the whole movie for you, but I'm going to give you some spoilers if you haven't seen it. So in Rocky IV, right, in a Rocky Balboa's fight with this giant, towering, kind of roided-out Russian, Ivan Drago, right? Um, Spoiler, Rocky wins. But what happens is throughout this fight, Rocky is just, hitting this Russian with body blows, right? At the beginning of the fight, when they stand face to face, the Russian's like here and Rocky's like down here. And it's a, it's a mismatch. But what Rocky does, he just keeps hitting him in the body, body blow, body blow, constantly hitting him and he brings him down to size till eventually he can land a knockout blow. And somehow, in great screen writing, this entirely Russian crowd who hates Americans is now cheering for the American. How can you not get pumped up? It's the best, all right? The Russian crowd goes wild. Now, I'm obviously, I say that because I'm I'm probably pretty simple-minded, but this is kind of what sanctification feels like to me. When I was trying to think of this series and what God has been doing and in each message and sanctification, Rocky IV is what came to mind, right? Uh, That's what it has felt like to me at times. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Gut punch. Body blow. Blessed are those who mourn. That's hard to hear right now. Blessed are the meek. Body punch. And as the Holy Spirit just keeps kind of hammering me, he's bringing me down to my knees. That's what I have felt um, when we think about sanctification. But even though this series... Maybe it's been tough for some of us, and sanctification uh, feels painful sometimes when it's happening, right? We cannot lose our focus in the middle of the fight. We cannot take our eyes off of Jesus or the hope that has also been in every one of these messages, So that's something that I really want to fight for today uh, as we read through this text. And and guys, he's still going to be coming at us, right? The the Holy Spirit should still be working on our hearts and sanctification is definitely going to be something that needs to be happening today. But as we're feeling that and feeling uncomfortable at times, I want to fight to hang on to the hope that we have in the word today. So if you will, open your Bibles. Uh, We're going to read today's text. Actually, what we'll do is we'll just start from the beginning. We'll read Matthew 5, 1 through 8, and 8 uh, is going to be our verse for the day. So Matthew 5, starting with verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, we just, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your son Jesus and everything that he did for us, including giving us this message, God. Um, Lord, I just pray that, that you would lead this morning, that we would follow. God, I pray that you would call my heart, that you would soften our hearts to hear from you, not my words, but yours, and that you would send your spirit um, to speak to us, uh, to, to convict us, but also to give us hope um, this morning. We love you. We praise your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, TJ has, um, the last few weeks, been, as, he's, as we've gone through these beatitudes, really showing us how we cannot necessarily separate one beatitude from the next, right? They're, they're connected. Uh, and each week we've been looking at that. And, and so this week I was kind of thinking about it. You can view sort of the beatitudes like a mountain, right? So you have the, the first three beatitudes, those beatitudes of need, um, where, you know, poor in spirit and, and mourn and meek. And, and if you view it a mountain, you're, you're climbing up, right? Each beatitude, we're climbing up the mountain. Then at the summit, you have that beatitude number four, uh, kind of where righteousness is, that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we have the last three, five, six, and seven, where we're kind of those beatitudes of action, where we're descending now down the mountain. Blessed are the merciful, or this week, blessed are the pure in heart. So we want to keep that in mind today, uh, and we're going to talk about that a lot, how we connect each of these beatitudes to one another. Blessed are the pure in heart. So what does that look like? Right? We have a pretty good idea of what some of the other things look like when we read the poor in spirit or, or those who mourn. Right? That one seems, our mind kind of goes to that. The meek, maybe even the merciful. In our mind, we have this picture, or maybe it's a person or, or whatever. We can see those things, but what about the pure in heart? Who is the pure in heart? Who is that person? What does that look like? Right? Is it some movie hero? Obviously, if you're simple-minded like me, your mind goes to, to that. So do we think of you know, Steve Rogers or Bilbo Baggins? Emmett Burkowski is the one who my mind went to, actually. Who is pure in heart? What does that even mean? So let's start by trying to figure out some things that that is not, okay? Because we struggle with understanding statements of the heart. Like we say things sometimes, but I, I'm not sure that we're really convinced we know what we mean by that. We make statements about the intentions of our heart or what we mean in our heart or what we believe in our heart. But when we ask you like, well, what do you mean by that? I think we may have a hard time sometimes explaining that. And if we don't understand what Jesus is talking about here, then we run the risk of thinking that that's us, right? Thinking that pure in heart, check, got that. When really, maybe our minds are just in a really dark, sinful place. Or maybe our actions or our intentions don't resemble anything pure, even though we may say like things like, well, I didn't mean that in my heart, right? So we're going to clarify. Heart 
is not the opposite of head. Okay? It's not, not the opposite. Often in scripture, heart actually equals mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 19, 14 says, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And in Matthew 9, verse 4 says, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Okay, so they're not opposite. Heart is not opposite of mind. It actually means the same thing. Other places in scripture, heart means our emotions or our passions or even our will, okay? So to kind of simplify things, heart, as Jesus is referring to it and as we're thinking about it today, refers to the center of your personality, right? What you think, your feelings, your will, the things that you put your hope in, the things that you yearn for, the heart is just the core of our souls, okay? Because of that, we have Proverbs 4, 23 that says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So it's not opposite of mind, it's, it's who we are, right? It's the core of our beings. So blessed are the pure in heart. just so I can loop us all in and make sure that we don't have anybody sitting here thinking like, oh, well, that's, that's not for me, right? It's not, I, I, I'm a good person. I, I do good things, so it must not be me, right? I want to I tell you this morning, it's you, right? And it's me. We need to hear this. All of us need our hearts to be purified this morning, but why does the heart need to be purified? What's so wrong with my heart? Right? I'm, I don't think I'm a bad person. I try to do good things. So why does the core of my being need to be purified? Well, the reason is, Genesis 8, 21 says, the intent of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Jeremiah 17, this is the verse that uh, when TJ first told me I was going to be preaching, this is exactly the verse that my mind went to. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Here's the part that always stands out to me. It says, who can understand it? Matthew 15, verse 17 says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. This is why we need to have our hearts purified this morning. Because from Genesis 3, from the fall of man, right, when sin entered in, all the way to now, our hearts are just a mess. They're, they're a mess. Even those who follow Christ, right? If we're here this morning and we're, and we're believers, this is still for us. Our hearts are a mess. If you're a believer, your heart is justified, right? But, it's still messy. We have a long way to go to be sanctified. So we all need to hear this this morning and, and realize that this is for us, that our hearts need to be purified. But what does purity of heart even look like? To be pure in heart starts with acknowledging 
our spiritual bankruptcy apart from the grace of God. Does that sound familiar? Blessed are the poor in spirit. To be pure in heart is to mourn over the impurity of your own heart. Blessed are those who mourn. To be pure in heart is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, to be pure in heart does not mean that your heart is perfect. Right? And that's where our mind goes to. But that's not what it means. It's not absolute perfection in this life, but it is an intense pursuit of it. Right? It's this relentless pursuit of better. It's a pursuit of holiness uh, in which that we're never satisfied, never full, always hungry for more. That is what pure in heart looks like. Sam Storm says it this way. He says, the pure in heart may still sin, but he feels no complacency in it. So to be pure in heart doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. It still means that you're going to sin, but it means that we do some of these things that we've heard already through these other beatitudes that we mourn for that. We recognize it. We realize how jacked up we are. And we hunger for more. We thirst for righteousness. Yes, I sin, but I'm not okay with it. That is what being pure in heart looks like for us today. Now, I think it's important to keep in mind who Jesus was speaking to at this point as we try to understand that this purity of heart is kind of your internal status, right? It's, it's, it's internal, it's not external behaviors. His audience, Jesus' audience at this time, had both Jews and Gentiles, okay? The Jewish listener would have been confronted by these words because they had the, these ways of just trying to follow rules, right, these external behaviors to try to obtain their righteousness or salvation. As TJ mentioned last week, Jesus went pretty hard at this way of thinking, especially the Pharisees. He even called them whitewashed tombs because all of their efforts were external, right? He says, your facade on the outside, yes, you're doing X, Y, and Z, but inside, you're a mess. So Jesus confronts the legalist, right? The rule follower, the, the person who just follows these things or does these duties to try to equal their salvation, he confronts them or me this morning when I think my morality or my good deeds somehow lessen my need for a savior, lessen my need for rescue. Jesus says it is not what you do externally. Right? It doesn't matter that you show up to set up speakers every week, Garrett. It doesn't matter that you don't smoke or chew or date girls who do, right? It matters what is happening internally, what's going on in your heart. D.A. Carson says, purity of heart must never be confused with outward conformity to rules because it is the heart which must be pure. This beatitude interrogates us with awkward questions like these. What do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? 
How much sympathy do you have for deceptions, no matter how skillful? For shady humor, no matter how funny? To what do you pay consistent allegiance? What do you want more than anything else? To what extent are your actions and words an accurate reflection of what is in your heart? And to what extent do your actions and words constitute a cover-up for what is in your heart? These words, Jesus' words, would have confronted the Gentile audience as well with their license, so to speak, their selfish desires, their greed, the way that they chased external pleasure or experience or just tried to, you know, get theirs all the time. And so these words confront me or us this morning when we do things that somehow cheapen his grace by living like there's no rules, right? By we say, well, I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross and then I never think about him again. Never pursuing him because I'm too caught up trying to get mine. Neither of these kind of half-hearted ways work. Neither will work. Because here's what happens. At best, best case scenario, if you're one of these, you're leaving many great gifts and blessings on the table. Right? More peace? Nah, I'm good. I don't, I don't think I need that. Hope in really difficult times? Nah. I don't think I'll be in need of that, Jesus. Right? That's at best. We're leaving those things on the table. God has much more for us, and we say, nah, I'm pretty good. Right? These things over here look better to me. But at worst, you may not really know the Jesus that you've been hearing so much about, right? Jesus' audience would have been confronted with the same thing. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we, we did all these works. We cast out demons in your name, right? And Jesus says, I never knew you. I didn't know who you were. Depart from me. It's always been a really text, a hard text for me. Uh, it's a scary text, to be honest, at times. But it goes to what Jesus is saying today, right? Yeah, you did all of these things, but in your heart, there was nothing. I, did, I don't know you. You don't know me. The pure in heart serve God with their whole heart. And the pure in heart hate their sin, which means we must leave it behind and not look back. Did you know, did you know there's a way to leave your sin but still love it? Kind of how like a, like a rattlesnake or, or, or whatever, it sheds its skin but retains its venom. Right? You leave it behind, but it's still, you still love it. You ever talk to somebody who glorifies kind of their sin, especially like a believer, who really glorifies maybe 
their formal life. In Jeff Vanderstelt's book, Gospel Fluency, uh, there's a great section in there, and I know we've done it in a lot of MCs where you, you tell your story, right? Your testimony, if you grew up in Pentecostal church. Your testimony. Um, but in there, Jeff Vanderstelt says, listen to people tell a story, and you will be able to see who the hero of the story is, Right? And that story, when you have people who really glorify their sin and their former self, you're seeing maybe that Jesus isn't the hero of that story, right? Or I was thinking again in my simple mind, my wife loves the show Friends, all right? We have all 10 seasons on DVD. We've watched it at least three times, beginning to end. There's a character in Friends, Chandler, who in the series, uh, and I don't know when, at what point, how early or whatever, but he smokes. And his friends always want him to quit smoking and he doesn't want to quit. Uh, and they're guilting him and he knows that he should, but he doesn't want to. Uh, and somewhere along in the show, he quits, right? But there's these moments that keep popping up in future episodes where he's still confronted with that. And he shows you what I think about uh, when you leave your sin. or, or I'm, I don't do things that I know I'm not supposed to do anymore, but I still love it right? He, he talks about how wonderful it is, right? There's a way that we can do that with our sin. But the pure in heart, we have, to, we have to hate it, we have to turn from it and not look back to it, all right? But how do we do that? How do we obtain a pure heart? Garrett, you've already told us, the word has told us, my heart is a mess. Who can even understand it? How do we purify our hearts, I think uh, in a really simple sense this morning, there's, there's three instruments or three tools that we can use to obtain a pure heart. The first is the word of God, the Bible. Okay. Simple, it's low-hanging fruit. It's a really great tool to purify your heart. The Bible has this way of working like a filter to kind of purify our souls. Right? The more you spend time in it and the more you, you look for God in it, it has a way of purifying our souls. Psalms 119 says, oh, thy word is pure. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So that's a great tool to help us obtain purity of heart. It's a great way for us to pursue the Father, to see more of Jesus as through his word. A second great tool that we can use is fellowship. To walk and talk with others who are pure in heart. That's the importance of being in the body, of being in community, of being present uh, in the corporate gathering to surround ourselves with other believers. It's why we cannot do this. My faith is my own. I walk my... You're leaving a lot on the table. You're leaving a great tool that helps us to get pure hearts by surrounding ourselves with others who are pure in heart. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he that walks with the wise shall be wise. So those that walk and spend time and fellowship and disciple with others who are pure in heart will be pure in heart. And the third tool is prayer. Like we have to pray for it, right? Again, our hearts are jacked up. They're messed up. 
So we need help. We need to pray. David is a great example of that in Psalms 51 when he says, create in me a clean heart, oh God. So we need to pray for it. We need to to seek him in that and you'll see him through the word and you'll see him in your prayers as he begins to work and sanctify us and our hearts become more and more pure. But while these tools are helpful, purity of heart is always a gift of God's grace, right? So we want to be careful to say there's work to be done. There are things that you can use that we need to pursue. You're not going to do it on your own, right? It's not just external, right? You can't be like the Pharisees. Well, I read my Bible every day. Yeah, there's going to be some of those that Jesus is going to say, I don't know you because your heart is far from me. Purity of heart is always a gift of God's grace and we need to ask for it. So why bother? Right? Some of us are wrestling with, we've heard these messages and, and we feel... Right, like Rocky, we're, we're beat up, we're, we're bloody because we feel we've just taken blow after blow every week. It's something, I see how jacked up I am. Why? Why even bother? It seems so demanding. We have a few reasons why we do it. And the first is we do it because that's what God is like. Right? We want to be like him. And he is holy First Peter 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, for I am holy. A second reason we do it is because he chose us to be holy and blameless. That's from Ephesians. Third, we do it because Christ died for it. He paid the ultimate price when he didn't have to for it. Titus 2 says he gave himself for us that we, he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possessions, zealous for good deeds. And lastly, we do it because, as the word tells us, the pure in heart will what? See God, right? We will see God. God doesn't command this purity of heart to deprive us of anything, right? He's not trying to to deprive you of pleasure. God is very much pro-pleasure for us. Like, have you ever had a Gary's steak? I don't know how you can have it and not think God doesn't want good things for you, right? God is for our pleasure, so much so that he desires for us to partake in a pleasure and a joy and a happiness that far exceeds both in depth and duration anything that impurity could ever produce, right? So whatever we think we have to give up, but we don't want to do it, right? God has so much more for us. It's going to be so much better because we are going to see God. Like it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how am I supposed to feel about that? Right? In Exodus, there's this story in Exodus where Moses asks to see God's face. Right? He had heard God's, audibly heard God's voice speak to him from a burning bush. 
and he had witnessed God turn the Nile into blood. And he had actually eaten manna from heaven that God sent to him. But Moses was still not satisfied. He wanted more. So, so Moses asks God, let me look on your face. Let me see you. And, and scripture tells us that no man can see God and live. So here's what God does. God, he places Moses in the cleft of a rock and God passes by. He says, I'm going to pass by and I'm going to allow you to look at like my back. Right? I, I think the translation actually says like my hind side or like rear end basically. I'm going to let you look at my backside, but never his face. So Moses does that. He looks and he sees God pass by and he actually sees God's back. And when Moses descends from the mountain, his face was literally shining. Right? This is the part of the movie where Charlton Heston's hair and beard are like got the streaks in its back and he's, you know, got a real good tan. Like his face is literally shining from looking upon God's back. So much so that the people at the bottom of the mountain were terrified of him, right? They actually like couldn't look at him. Moses had to wear a veil over his face so that people could approach him. And what had happened is Moses had come so close to God that he was literally reflecting God's glory. And this was a reflection that came from God's backside, all right? He had to cover his face. It was like too much, it wasn't the brilliant glory of looking upon his face. And if people were terrified by the sight reflected, uh, the sight of reflected glory from God's backside, how can anyone stand to gaze directly into his holy face? But that is exactly the final goal of every believer, right? Every Christian, all religion actually, the main goal is to see God to be allowed what Moses was denied. We want to see him face to face and to bask in that radiant glory. Now the sight of God that Jesus refers to here is more than a mere physical vision though. Okay? It's actually to encounter or experience and know him in the deepest and most intimate way possible. And that, friends, is something so great that you and I, we cannot even conceive what it will be like. But we will be totally transformed by it. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now just as the vision of God in the future will sanctify us wholly, right, when that day comes instantly, we will be completely sanctified. The work will be done. The vision of Christ in the present 
the way that we see God in the present, now, in his scripture, in fellowship with other believers, through prayer, right? Just as the future vision of him will sanctify us wholly, this vision of Christ now sanctifies us progressively and allows us to see God in glimpses here and now. As a believer, as Christians, we can see God in a sense that nobody else can. The believer can see God in nature. We can see God in the events of history. The believer can see God in our own experience, right? In our sanctification, painful as it may be to our flesh, but as God takes us and molds us into something new, we can look back and we can see God in that. There's such hope in that this morning, right? Not only that I look at my heart and, well, God's scripture just says I'm so jacked up and I'm a mess and, yeah, my mind is a terrible place and, and I'm selfish and if you only knew, right? It feels like a lot, but there is such hope in here that even in our shortcomings, right, even in our current sinful state, again, we are not perfect now. That's not what Jesus is saying That's not who Jesus says gets to see God, right? We'll have to be that to actually look upon his face, but we can see him now as he is sanctifying us, and there's a hope in that, right? So my question for us today as we we worship and, and take communion, and I think a question we need to be wrestling with is, how's your heart? How's your heart? How do you feel about your sin? Are you okay with it? Or are you wrecked with by it? Does it bother you? Or does it not? Do you feel convicted and work to turn from it? Do you repent and turn and run from it? Or do you hear messages like this and you just feel guilty, but maybe not enough to actually do anything about it? That's the question that I think we need to wrestle with today as we worship. And, and Ben, you guys can come back up. As we think through this series as a whole and, and God is sanctifying us and trying to do things in us, we need to be asking ourselves these questions. But as we do that, right, as we worship, as we wrestle, as we repent this morning, we don't, uh, don't lose sight of the hope that God has for us through this work, through this process of sanctification. Don't forget the blessings that come with these beatitudes, right? Don't forget that the poor in spirit receive the kingdom, that those who mourn are comforted, that the meek inherit the earth, and that the pure in heart get to see God. Don't lose sight of that this morning. As, as we begin to worship, and, and, and here's, here's how it's so cool. We get to see him now. And because of that, right, we're motivated to purify our hearts. 
but as we worship, we get a chance to see him. And as we take communion this morning, if you choose to do that, what a great picture to actually see God and ask him to work in our hearts. I don't know what this means for you today. I don't know what God is speaking to you, right? I don't know if you're on the license side of, yeah, I I just, you know, I say grace is good and, and then I don't live like it. Or if you're on the legalist side, that yeah, I do all these things, but my heart is hard and it's far from him. He calls all of us to him, to see him more clearly. And in my opinion, what a better way to do it than worshiping him. To sing of what he has done for us. Right? To be reminded of his faithfulness, even though we don't deserve it. Right? He doesn't call a perfect people. He came and was perfect because we're so messed up. And as we see him in that today, God, I just, I ask that you would sanctify our hearts. That you would purify our hearts. God, that we would see you in what you're doing. God, that we would realize that it's not our own actions that it is not in that we read our Bible more, that you love us more, that it is not in that we pray more, that you love us more. But God, would you just help us take advantage and, and grasp those good gifts that you have for us? Maybe for the unbeliever, God, would you call us and open our eyes for the first time? May we see you for the first time. And would you begin this work in us? Lord, we love you and we praise you.